You know, interesting, uh, every once in a while when I'm traveling around the country, I'll have um, somebody ask me, well, where are you from? And I'll say, Oklahoma. And uh, they'll say something like, oh, I could never live in Oklahoma. And I would say, why? And they, the tornadoes. And uh, everybody, it's just so, so interesting to me how people across country are so frightened about that. And yet they don't, they don't understand it. And it's, I think in people's minds, we have tornadoes here like every day, everywhere or something. And uh, kind of, because I don't know about you, but I would much rather live in Oklahoma than in other parts of this country. I mean, how many of you, I mean, think about California, all the, the, the fires, you know, that kind of stuff. Would, would you want to deal with that? Or how about the earthquakes? Um, we've had enough earthquakes here in Oklahoma for me to know I don't think I want any part of that either. Or how about you could live in, in New Orleans, you know, where you're below sea level and every time you get a little bit of rain, it floods. You know, you could live there. And, I, and I, I don't want any part of flooding and all that kind of stuff. Or people, I've got a lot of friends that I grew up with in Ohio that have now moved to Florida. Now, I like visiting Florida, but I don't want to live in Florida. I don't want to live in a place where the bugs are bigger than me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, have you been there? I mean, these things, you hear them before they get you. You know what I mean? They're just, they're just huge. And the hurricanes. I mean, you think of, you th- we think of tornadoes being devastating. I mean, think about the hurricanes and how much devastation, you know, they do. Uh, back in 1992, long before some of you guys were born, there was a, a Category 5 hurricane called Hurricane Andrew that went through South Florida. Some of you will remember this. And it was like one of the top 10 hurricanes of all time. Uh, did incredible damage. Did like $28 billion worth of damage in South Florida. Uh, in the, what was interesting in the aftermath of that was uh, one of the stories was a, a, a woman whose name was Norena that her house got really, really badly damaged. And um, she settled with the insurance company and they you know, gave her the money to get her home repaired. But, you know, a lot of times during stuff like that, you know, you have people who aren't always above the table, you know, above board with stuff. And you have people that, you know, will fix your house, but then they try to jack up prices. Well, that's what happened in Arena. And her money ran out. And these people who were working on her house said, well, we need more money. And she said, well, that's all they have. That's all I've got. And so they just quit working on her home. And so she was left, her, her house structurally was pretty well put back together for the most part. But one of the things that they hadn't done is they had never restored power to her home because things got so damaged, she had to, she had to have the, these electrical contractors and, and they were done. So Norena, what was interesting is Norena was one of those individuals who, you know, she was very quiet and very unassuming. And she just felt like this was something that she was going to have to deal with all by herself. And so she never asked for any help. Norena just decided, I guess I'm just going to have to live without power for a while. And she did. For 15 years. Are you getting that? 15 years. It was finally in 2007 when somebody found out that Norena didn't have power, that they appealed to the mayor, who nobody knew about this, and they sent an electrical contractor in to her up. Now, her whole house was electric, so for 15 years, she's been taking cold baths and cold showers. 
For 15 years, she had a kerosene lantern. It was the only light that she had in her house. For 15 years, she had been cooking on a little kerosene burner, a little one burner thing that she had. For 15 years, she had been living like that. And then finally, when they found out, the mayor came in and they sent the contract out and they hooked her power back up. And it was so cool because Narina said when they got her power restored, she goes, the first thing I'm going to do, she goes, the first thing I'm going to do, she says, I'm cranking that air conditioner all the way down. And I'm going to make this house as cold as it can make. And then I'm going to take the longest hot bath in human history. <laughs> Finally getting her power back. Well, I, I thought of Narena. I thought of that story this week when I was working on the message. Because we've been talking about being stuck. And sometimes we get, we get stuck in our life. You know, sometimes we get stuck in habits and addictions we can't seem to break. Sometimes we get stuck in situations where we can't see how we're going to get forward. Sometimes we just kind of get stuck in a, in a funk of life and kind of the way we are. And we just kind of come to this place of, you know, I, I want to be different, but I really don't know how to be different. And I thought about Narina because a lot of times when we're, when we're stuck, we, all we look at is ourselves. And we're just looking at our own power, our own ability, and we don't realize that, you know what, if we would reach outside of ourselves like Narina did, that there are resources that God has to offer. There is power that God has to offer. There are things that God can do for us that we can't do for ourselves. Amen? And I want to talk about that today. Now, in this story, getting. So, if you want to take a moment, take your sermon outline out of your worship folder. You can track along with me. We're going to throw this stuff up on the screen. Uh, throw the scripture. We're going to be looking at Judges chapter 6 in the story. And if you'd like to follow along the Bibles, those are on the pews in front of you. And those are our gift to you. If you'd like to take one of those Bibles home, we'd love you to have one. We've been looking at the story of Gideon. And how during this time, uh, Israel, because they had disobeyed God, uh, had now gone and, you know, gotten, been uh, taken over by the Midianites. And they had overrun the country, and uh, everybody was fleeing, and they're hiding, and uh, they were just raiding their cities and, and taking over the Israel. And so th th now we find Gideon hiding in a wine press because he didn't want to be discovered. And there, this angel of the Lord comes to him. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this story. And uh, last week, we, Pastor Will talked about the angel coming to Gideon, who's hiding now, and goes, Hail, mighty hero, you know. And that was, he was probably anything but a hero, but God was speaking something into Gideon that Gideon didn't even know was there. Now, what I want you to catch today in this story is I want you to look at how Gideon was just like Narina as the angel was speaking this stuff to him. All Gideon could see was himself. Throw that passage up on the screen for me. Let's look at it together. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now you can imagine Gideon going, what, me? Yeah. But Lord, Gideon said, how can I rescue Israel? There you go. I thought I was delayed. There we go. Now, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one 
man. Again, I want you to get what's going on for Gideon. He's focused on himself. Now, here's what happens. I, you know, when, I, when, I, when I sat back this week and I really started thinking about what happens to us when, when we take God out of the equation and all we look at is our own strength, our own power, or our own ability or inability, what begins to happen in our lives? And here's a few things. These are on your outline. I think I've got it filled in for you, but let me just run through them real quick. When we focus on ourselves, throw the first one up there. We dream smaller. One of the things I realized is that when I take God out of the equation, my dreams become very small. Because if I'm the only one in the equation to carry this out, I'm not going to think very big with my life. You probably are that way too. Second thing, we become overwhelmed a lot more quickly. Now, I don't know about you, man, but when I'm facing a problem, if all I'm looking at is my ability to solve the problem... I, I start getting overwhelmed in a hurry, and I think that happens to, to a lot of us. Uh, a third thing, and I thought this was kind of funny, but I realized if I take God out of it, I take fewer risks. I take fewer risks. In, in other words, if I'm feeling God to nudge me, in a, if, I'm, if I've got this sense that maybe I'm going here, and I start looking at what Steve brings to the table, I'm going, man, I don't know if I want to try that or not. You know, I don't know that I'm, I'm, willing, I'm willing to do that, which kind of gets me to the next piece is that we tend to be more pessimistic. You know, it's so funny how often uh, in, in pastoring a church, I'll, I'll say to someone, I feel like God's laying somebody on my heart to recruit to a particular ministry, and I'll say, you know, would you, would you be interested in being a part of this or leading this or doing this? And it's so interesting to me how often people will say, and these are the words, I could never do that. I could never do that. What if it wasn't about you? What if it wasn't about just you and what you bring to the table, but what if it was about what God brought to the table as well? Do you see how pessimistic we become, which kind of leads in, obviously, to the last thought is that, you know, when we, when we focus on ourselves, we have a lot less faith. We just have a lot less faith. And when I was working on this, one of the things that, that hit, hit me is that this is, when we get stuck like this, the problem is we have faith in ourselves and not really in God. That's why I put this statement on your outline that getting, getting unstuck, it requires us to, to stop having faith in us and to really start having faith in God. Now, just again, good group therapy this morning. Just repeat out loud after me. I need to have more faith in God. How many of you would say that's true for me, Pastor? Yeah, let's do it again. I need to have more faith in God. Now, one of the things I've discovered in my journey, and maybe you did, is I find that God often takes us to places in our life where we have to have faith in him. You know, I can look back on my journey, and I'm going, you know, how did I get here? And, and, and what's interesting is I feel this kind of divine hand in it all. And it's like, God, why, why would you bring me to this place where I can't do this by myself? Why would you, why would you put me in this kind of position? And then it hits me because that's exactly what God wants. Because God wants us to stop focusing on us and he wants us to start focusing on him. Does this make sense to you? And so I thought of a few things that, you know, why, why does God place us in these positions where we have to trust him? Again, on your outline, let, let me give you a few of them. One of the things I think that God's trying to do is, I think God's trying to really show us who he is. I think he's trying to show us who he is. You guys, you know I love you. But isn't it a fact, sometimes, sometimes our God is too small. 
Sometimes our God is too small. I think sometimes we put God in a box and we think, you know, God can do this and God can do that, but he can't really do that. And I think every once in a while, God lets us get into positions where he goes, I'm going to show you just who I am. I'm going to show you just what I can do. I think that's a part of that process. I also think because we become so negative about ourselves, I, I think God allows us to get put in this position so he can show us what he can do through us. He shows us what he can do through us. You know, sometimes, again, we get, we get, so, we get so focused on ourselves. God said, let me, let me show you. You know, when you go back, one of the things that's so interesting when you go back through Scripture is to, is to see how terribly inadequate all these people were that God used. You know, David was a shepherd boy. You know, Moses was a fugitive. Paul was a murderer. The disciples, they described them in Acts as being uneducated and ignorant. And, and when, you, when you read all that, you go, well, why would God choose people like that for this reason? God wants people that know they have to depend upon him. They have to depend upon him. That was the third thing, the third thought in my head. You know, God wants us, he wants us to know you're going to have to depend upon me. Can you imagine what a mess the disciples would have made if they would have tried to start the church out of the power of themselves? Man, you, you, all you got to do is read one or two stories about Peter and know that the church would have turned into a bar, ballroom brawl in a hurry, man. I mean, it would just, it would have been, it would have been a mess. Look at me. I want you to hear my heart this morning. I don't know where you might be stuck, but here's what I do know. It's not about you. You can find freedom in your life. You can find healing in your life. You don't have to always sit back and feel like God can't use you because he can. It's not about you. God is choosing you not because of who you are. God is choosing you because of who he is. Amen? Now, I want to I step back to the story of Gideon for a second, and, and I want us to just glean maybe a, a few lessons that I think could be really helpful. Ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. You can trust God's grace. You can trust God's grace. You remember in the story why the Israelites were in this mess to begin with? They'd sinned. They'd messed up. They decided to abandon God, choose other gods, and try to do this all on their own. And, and now, because of that, they're living this run and hiding life. What's interesting is if you go back through their history, they've done this time and time again. And a part of it, you know, when, you, when you're Gideon and the angel's speaking to you and he's telling you, I'm going to send you and you're going to do this. I think a part of it for Gideon, he's thinking about, you know, God, we're, we're just a mess. You know, how in the world could you use people that are this disobedient? I mean, when you look back across our history, we have failed you again and again and again. And every once in a while, when, when, when we look at our lives and we look at where we've been and when we look at what we've done and we, at, we feel the tug of God maybe to take a step forward, we, go, we, we get so lost in our shame, we go, but God, you can never forgive me. You can never, you can never I, I can't get past this thing that I've done. And what we have to come to understand is that God's grace is always greater than our sin. Always. And we sometimes put, we, we put more faith on our sinful past than we do on God's ability to bless our future. I, I love in uh, Romans chapter 5, 
Verse 20, there's a, a, a great text in Scripture. This is, I love how Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrased this in the message. He said, all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Now read this next sentence out loud. I love this. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands I love, read that again. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Sometimes I, I think we picture uh, in, in life that we have these two forces that are both at work in our lives and, and we forget just how great God really is. Um, earlier in the week when I was, I was mulling through some of these thoughts and I had some music on and that, that song, that contemporary song, What a Beautiful Name, it came on. And there was a part of that song that just jumped out at me and I thought, this is so apropos for, for this morning. Throw that up on the screen. Read, read this out loud with me. This is from that song. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. Now, that's a truth you can stand on. I love that first sentence again. I love that. You have no rival. You have no equal. And why that's so important is sometimes I think we, we feel like in this tug of war between God and Satan, we have these two equal parts kind of both vying for us. In fact, though that I, I put, drew this thing, this is kind of just a little visual for you. Here, here we got these two equal forces, God pulling us this way. And I, and I think sometimes that's what we think about, that, you know, Satan in our past and our, and our sin and God, and there's these two equal, and you do understand it's not like that at all. Look at me. God has no equal. God has no rival. This isn't, you know, God in a close competition, in a close race with Satan for our life. Do you understand how far above him he really is? How much more powerful God is than Satan ever dreamed of becoming? When you really look at it, it looks more like this, gang. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how black your past has been. You can trust the grace of God. Because when it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Amen. You can trust in God's power. You can trust in God's power. You're Gideon, you're in a wine press. The angel of the Lord is telling you to take on this Midianite army that uh, has already been beating you down for a while. You're not real encouraged. And you can just see Gideon kind of crunching the numbers in his head about, you know, God, how are we, how we going to do this? And, and again, he's picturing who he is. He's picturing what Israel comes to the table with. And, and it's so interesting for me because over and over again, God's trying to show Gideon, this is not about you. You, 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 you didn't do this before. You, peop, you, know, you, you didn't get your people out of, out of Egypt. I did that. You, you didn't do it. This is about who I am. 
In fact, what's so funny in this story is not only does God challenge Gideon to get the, you know, to rally the troops and go against the Midianite army. If you, if you follow this storyline and you read into chapter 7, it's absolutely hysterical. Because as Gideon takes a step and as he finds the courage to rally the troops, he gets 30,000 soldiers and now they're ready to take on the Midianite army. And you know what God says to him? This is crazy. God says, you got too many soldiers. You got to get rid of some of these guys. And Gideon's like, what did he say? I got a what? You need to send some home. If you, if you go out to battle with 30,000 and you win, you're going to think you did this. And you're not going to do this. Go ahead. Just tell all the guys who want to go home to go home. 20,000 of them left. Now, you can imagine Gideon going, okay, now we're down to 10,000. I hope these guys are crack shots. You know, I hope, you know, hope we can, you know, and, and you can see him doing it. And he comes back and says, okay, God, we got, we got rid of We're down to 10,000. And God, you know, God, God says, you still got too many. <laughs> Gideon's like, Lord, I mean, come on. 10,000. You know how many they got? 10,000. God says, you know, it takes him through this exercise till he finally whittles it down. See, do you remember? Anybody read this story? Do you remember how many Gideon had when he finally went to war? 300. 300. That's all he had. God says, okay, now, now we can do this. Because when it all came down to it, it wasn't about the Israelites winning the war. It was about the power of God at work. And it's the same thing for you. Because some of you hear the voice of God speaking to you about going into places of your life. And you're going, you can't, I can't do this, God. And God goes, you're exactly right, you can't but I can. You know, this story, Gideon, always reminds me of, of Moses in Exodus 3 when Moses was on the run and uh, you remember the whole burning bush encounter and God speaks to him and remember Moses was a fugitive and God tells Moses, a fugitive, I want you to go back to the country where you're a wanted man and I want you to walk into the court of the most powerful king on the face of the earth. And I want you to tell him to let my people go. I'm just tired of this. And, and Moses is like, I mean, you can just read the story. Moses is like, what? Are you kidding me? And God takes him through this whole process. And Moses is looking at it and he, and he can't believe. But here's what God says. And you need to get this. Throw that up on the screen from Exodus 3. Here's what God says to him. God says, but Moses, I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Read it with me, church. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, you can bet your bottom dollar, buddy, he will let you go. There are some of us that maybe we're stuck because, you know, we've tried to overcome some stuff in our lives time and time again, and we fail. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you that you're going to overcome the problems in your life or the addictions in your life or the habits in your life or the things that you're struggling with that you're not going to over. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to overcome them by the power of positive thinking. Because no matter how positive you may think about yourself, you're still not all of that. Amen. But God is. And here's what I will promise you. If you will open your life 
to the mighty hand of God. He will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I saw Saturday on Facebook uh, a friend of mine that I've known for a long time that made a post, and he's a young man that years ago actually stayed with Wanda and I uh, for a good part of a summer. And after he had stayed with us and kind of moved on with his life, his life had kind of taken a curve and he'd kind of gone into some dark places and he had become an alcoholic. He posted Saturday. I just thought it was so cool. He said, 30 years sobriety today. 30 years sobriety today. And as I celebrated with him on Facebook, I thought to myself, how many people do I know in my own life that have struggled to deal with an addiction and found that again and again they can't overcome it. But by the power of God, ladies and gentlemen, we can find the freedom that God offers. Amen. Bet you. Let me give you one more. Another lesson Gideon teaches us is that you can trust God's faithfulness. You can trust God's faithfulness. As we follow the storyline into next, next Sunday, one of the things you'll, you'll see is that even though Gideon was really leaning into this motivational speech that the, that the angel was giving, you could see that he was kind of fearful about, okay, you know, you're, you're, you're ramping me up, but are you going to be with me outside of here, outside of this wine press? When I say yes to this and we really engage in battle, are, are, are you going to be, are, are, are we really going to be able to do this? And, and it's so interesting how the angel gives this assurance to Gideon, and I love it. If and the first time I ever caught this in the text, read the story hundreds of times. First time I ever caught this 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 contrast at the beginning of this story. What I was read, we were reading today. I want you to notice the angel says to Gideon, "I am sending you." You know, I am sending you to the Midianites. I am sending you. But I want you to notice what the angel said at the end of this conversation with Gideon, because this is what Gideon needed to hear. Throw it up on the screen. And the Lord said to him, "Read it with me, church. I will be." With you. Say it again. I will be with you. And this is what Gideon needed to hear. It's one thing to know that God is sending us. It's another thing altogether, baby, to know God is with us. And that's the part that I want you to really get. It is that no matter what you're facing, what you're stepping into, or what you are dealing with, not only is God saying, I want you to take a step of obedience, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm not going to be with you just here at the beginning. I'm going to be with you to the very and I love what he says in Lamentations. Throw it up on the screen. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, read it with me, church, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I put my hope in, in who? Look at me. It's not about you. It's about coming to a place in your life where you're just so tired of being stuck that you admit what you know deep in your heart anyway. Lord, I can't. But you can. And he'll walk with you every step of the way. A couple weeks ago in the news, you may have seen this story. Throw that picture up on the screen for me. That old guy's a guy by the name of Frank Briggs. Frank lives in Ohio. 
He was in his home uh, one evening and he began to have chest pains. And um, the chest pains got worse until a point where he told his wife, he said, honey, I, I think you need to call 911. Uh, the paramedics came and realized he was in heart distress. They got him loaded on the ambulance. And as they started in the ambulance, he had a heart attack in the ambulance. His heart went into uh, ventricular uh, fibrillation, which meant that his heart just really started quivering. When your heart beats, it squeezes the blood out. But his heart was just, it was like vibrating. It was just doing this. And so the paramedics got out the defibrillator and shocked him to try to get the heart to, to jump back into a regular beating sequence. Um, but when they shocked him, it didn't work. It beat for a second, then went right back into this ventricular fibrillation. So they, they was on the way to the hospital, so they, they shock him again. They get him to the hospital, and it continues. His heart won't get. Now, generally, one or two shocks, and you're, and you're, you know, you're, you're good. Your heart will get back into rhythm. They're shocked, and they, they, show, they shock him again, and they shock him again, and they shock him again. Look at me. They shocked him 34 times. 34 times but they finally got him stabilized they were able to get him into surgery they were able to save Frank's life and, and it was so interesting I mean a, after it was all when he woke up and goes why did my chest hurt so bad <laughs> it's like I feel like somebody's been pounding on me well dude they have you know but Frank said thank you for not quitting on me look at me God will never quit on you. Not ever. He's for you. Not against you. There is no one on this planet who wants you to succeed more than God. Aren't you tired of being stuck? Aren't you tired of trying to do this all by yourself? Let's try a different way. Rachel, why don't you go ahead and come on back. I'm going to ask my prayer partners if they would go ahead and take their positions this morning. And, and I just want to invite you to, to stop putting faith in you. <laughs> I want to invite you this morning to put faith in God. And, and for some of you, maybe, you know, maybe you've never done this before. Maybe you've never had faith in God before. Maybe today is, is your first step in that, and that's okay. God will take you right where you are. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. But for some others of us, maybe there's some things we're wrestling with, and maybe, maybe we've been wrestling with it all by ourselves, and we're tired. We're overwhelmed. We want to quit, but don't. Just outside of your focus on yourself, there is a God who waits to help you, a God who is all-gracious, all-powerful, and ever-faithful. And he will walk with you every step of the way on this. So I just want to invite you this morning with whatever you're dealing with just to come before a Lord who will meet you right where you are. And you can do that right where you are in your pew if you want to and make this your own kind of moment with God. There may be some of you who want to slip out and come to an altar where you can pray by yourself. If you'd like to do that, you're more than welcome to do that. There may be some of you who want to put your requests on prayer cards and put your need and put your struggle on the prayer card hanging on the wall. So we'll be praying with you. You can do that. But you know what? We've got four prayer partners, one in each corner of the room, who would also count it a joy just to pray with you. 
Look at me, gang. You know I love you. You don't have to walk with this by yourself. You have people who are willing to stand with you, pray with you as you lean into God. And so if you'd like one of them to pray for you and whatever as much you want to share with them while we sing this song, I want you to feel freedom to slip out and come to where they are and you can share with them whatever it is you want to share and they'll be happy, thrilled just to be able to pray with you that you find the victory in your life that God wants you to have. Lord, I think one of the hardest moments in our life is that moment when we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that we really can't do what we need to do. But it's also the best moment in our life because that's the moment that you can show us that what we can't do, you can. You never said we could. You never said that we would be able to muster the ability to do whatever it is you're calling us to do or overcome. But you did say that by your power, we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. And so, Father, today, I pray over your people. I pray over every single place, Lord, that they feel stuck in their lives. I pray over every single person who's bound today by a habit or an addiction that they don't feel that they can get out of. And I pray today, by the strong name of Jesus, that you would break those chains, that you would set them free. Lord, I pray for those couples who have been struggling in their marriage together and, and they've only looked to themselves and that today will be their day where they invite your presence into the heart of their home and they'll begin a new path, a new journey with you as the cornerstone of their family. Father, I pray for those of us who have been stuck in places that we feel you, you moving us, we feel you nudging us in a direction that just seems too much for us. We look at what you're asking us to do like Gideon and and we go, Lord, who are we that you would ask us to do that? Remind us today, Lord, it's not about who we are. It's about who you are. And Father, today, would you just settle your hand upon us? Would you break us and set us free? Would you help us to take a step of faith today that will lead us on a brand new journey in life? And may we experience not only your grace and your power, but your faithfulness that is new every morning. In your precious name we pray today. And everyone said, amen, amen.